0: Well, that'll get you a little fired up before pregame, right? <laughs> Fight, finish, faith. Whether you are a Dallas Cowboys fan representing today, all right, We're Green Bay Packers fans, I know we have them here. Where are they? All right. Where are the cheeseheads? I want to see them. I said, did you wear your cheeseheads to church today? They said, we didn't feel like that would be reverent, all right, but... uh it would have been funny, though, but uh, no matter who no matter, no matter who you are a football fan of, we all love stories, the backstories of people who have dreams, right? who have dreams, who go through hard things in their life, as you heard, Dak lost his mother in the impressionable years in his life. Fight, finish, faith. We love stories like that, right? that inspire us, that people who have comebacks. Who, who don't let things that do knock them down, but they don't stay down. They keep pressing through things like that. And and you know, uh, Dak. Here's a great picture of him. He's being prayed over by a group of people. You know, and uh, he said, "Fight, finish, faith." Those were that, those were the words. Those were the, that was the legacy that his mother just pressed upon his heart that really probably took him through those hard times and will continue to take him through those hard times in his life. And in an, in an interview about his journey and the loss of his mom and his ascension even into uh, being the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, this is what he said in an article. He said, I write faith on my wrist before every game to remind me of the faith that my mom showed me in hard times. To, to to be reminded of that. The relationship we built from the faith that we had together, right? And he said, and to remind me of my faith in God. And that's powerful. And we are in this series called The Comeback. And I'm so excited that you are here with us and that you came back from last week and you're here. And we're looking into this life of Joseph. He's another one that understood fight, finish, faith, right? He got this. That's the kind of guy that he was. And as Pastor Randy said a few moments ago, it was just so great to have Pastor Danny back. Amen. Love having him here with us, and we missed him as he lost his dad a few weeks ago and uh, is here leading worship with us again this morning. Uh, Some of you with Michael Glenn, who was here last week, you may not have realized that that wasn't Danny because they look so much alike, right? In fact, I was telling Danny yesterday I could have Ronnie Mills, who he looks like he could be my brother. We could have Ronnie preach one Sunday and, and Michael Glenn lead the worship, and Danny and I could take a Sunday off and nobody would know. Right, And you never know. Is it Ronnie? Is it Bart? And so, anyhow, but we're in this incredible series. Joseph was a fight-finish faith kind of guy. And last week we talked about why is it so important that we understand this guy's story. And I think you're going to begin to see this today if you didn't capture it last week. And we said last week that this is a, a look into the life of Joseph is what we're calling this. But really it could probably be better called a study in the ways of God. Understanding how God is always at work in the good times in our lives, yes, and the good time and in the in the, in, in the good times, but but how God is constantly even at work in the bad things that happen in our life. That God God does not waste those things in our lives. And the key verse in this series, and I know many of you can relate to this. As I was just thinking about people this week in our church and, and who the things that you've gone through, many of you can relate to this. And hopefully, this series will be a great assurance to you. That God is working. God's working maybe where you can't see right now, but he is at work. He is a God that is always at work in our lives in the manner in which He loves us. And this key verse for this series, now turn with me to Genesis 37, but I'm going to bring up chapter 50, verse 20 on the screen. It's, it's where Joseph's story kind of culminates in the scripture. It's where it's found in this last chapter of Genesis, and he had been through all the things in his life, and he was able to look back. Now, while he was going through those things, I'm certain that he must have wondered where God was in all of this, okay? But he looks back, and his brother. Are there with him and his father has died? And and, and, and the brothers are scared. Now Joseph is in this place of power and they're scared. What's he gonna do to us now? Is he gonna take us out now that Daddy's gone? You know? But this is what Joseph said. Listen to his perspective. He said this to his brothers, You intended to harm me. But God intended it all for good. He brought me to this position so I could save the lives of many people. That is kind of the, the just the, the capstone of that entire passage on Gen- of, of, of the story of Joseph in Genesis. right? His brothers, when you think about what he had gone through, they had conspired against him. They betrayed him. They had even planned the murder of their own brother. I mean, those are evil things that are going on here right? They had a change of heart, and as you know, they sold him. Uh, they threw him in a pit, and, and then they sold him, instead of murdering him and leaving him for dead, they sold him to a band of slave traders that we'll read about here in just a moment. And all of these unexpected, terrible things happen in Joseph's life. And I know that some of you can relate to this so much, where, where life just is full of these twists and these turns, and life can throw curveballs, right? And you're going, how in the world did this happen? How did I end up, you know, where I'm at right now, going down this road that I'm going down? And you may be in the middle of something really tough right now. You may be going through something that's hard in your family or something that's difficult at work. Or maybe one of your kids is going through something and it's so hard to watch that because you want to fix it, right? But here is something that we see in Joseph's life that was true and it is true for you as well today. Take this truth and just let it just impact your soul today. God had a plan and Joseph gained perspective. God had a plan. And Joseph had perspective. This passage is so powerful in chapter 50, verse 20, and we'll unpack it more in the coming weeks. But here is, here's what why it's so just incredible is this where, where he says, you, brothers, you intended to harm me. You Another version says, what you meant for evil against me. In the original language, in the Hebrew, this word intended or meant, this word here is actually a word that they would use for weaving like a basket would be woven together taking strands of something and weaving it into this thing or a garment where you would weave it into this tapestry or into this cloth or into a shirt or a cloak or something. He's saying this, brothers, you were weaving this evil against me. You know, with the mindset of that will be the final product is that you're going to get rid of me. He was saying, you schemed against me. You were weaving your plans against me. But he uses the word again. Again. He uses this word for weaving again, but he said, but God, same word here, God intended, was weaving it for good. He's saying, brothers, he took your evil plans even, the things that you conspired against me, and God rewove that for his purposes Because that's the kind of God that he is. That's the perspective that Joseph had. What you need to hear from this today, and I hope you'll walk out of here today understanding this about your life, is that God is the master weaver. God is the one who is in control. God is the one who is weaving all the things together that are in, that, that are in your life. In fact, what Joseph would say is, is whether I'm in the pit or I'm in Potiphar's house as a slave or I'm in the prison and it seems like all these horrible things are going on, God is still weaving things together in my life. God hasn't forgotten me. In fact, not even Satan himself or the terrible circumstances of the pit or the prison or whatever it is that's going on. Not those terrible things that Satan or others who conspire against me can can seek to weave into my life. Not even those things. He says, Satan, they have no control over me. Satan weaves, but God reweaves. That's what this term A lot of you are construction people. You understand this terminology, right? You understand that there's a design that has to be made, and and it's put in place ahead of time. And then there's a mess usually while it's going on. This past week, Pastor Randy and I had the opportunity to go over to our new building. They finally enclosed it. They've got the glass up. They've got the doors on. They're putting sheetrock up. They're doing all these things. Let me tell you, there are guys working all over that place. We had to wear hard hats going in there because they're busy. And things are flying around, they're, they're, it's chaos in there. When you're walking around, you got to step over things. It's, when, you, when you look at it right now, do you know what you see? You see a mess. You see a big mess. Now, now I'm, I'm seeing that finished product, and I got really excited this week as I walked around over there. And I'm seeing the finished product. But, but right now, what you see is a mess. But you need to understand that in, I don't know, three or four months, somewhere in that time range, around 20 more Sundays, somewhere in that time range, it's going to be a finished product and it's going to be beautiful. Amen, right? We're going to go in. We're going to have our own place. It's going to be, you know, it's going to be so exciting to see that, right? And, and so what you need to understand is that God is the master architect in your life. He's the master designer, He's the master weaver and the master construction, you know, doing, the, doing master construction in your life, the master builder. And it may look messy right now, but there is a plan. There's a plan that God is weaving in your life. And it's, it's being worked out. And it's the same thing that he's doing, right, that he did in Joseph's life. Uh, and we look at Joseph's life and we see the messes. We're, looking at, we're going to be looking at the messes today and in the coming weeks. But I gave you a snapshot of the end so you understand, what is it that gets Joseph through all of this? How does he press through these kinds of things that we're going to read about today, right? Well, Joseph understood that God had a plan, that God had given him a dream. And we're going to see this today. So how did his story start? How did he end up in this pit? We know he didn't, we know he didn't start in the palace, right? He did start in, in kind of a sense of prosperity, and we'll talk about that a little bit. But uh, his troubles were certainly not helped by his father Jacob. In fact, they were really, the problems were exacerbated by Jacob, if you know anything about the patriarchal history and you know a little bit about their story, Jacob created this, this incredible dysfunctional family by some of his poor parenting choices, by some of the poor decisions that he made. And he had an overwhelming favoritism towards Joseph, who was one of his younger sons. And this kind of favoritism just caused this hostile sibling rivalry where, where it was combative and competitive and dysfunctional and jealousy abounded within these relationships, right? And so Jacob was despised by his older brothers. Literally, as we'll read, they hated him. They hated their brother and, and, and really Jacob kind of fostered this along in Joseph's life. He had multiple marriages which created a dynamic of tension within this family. We'll see very easily if you look at his story why polygamy, polygamy was never intended to be God's plan for marriage. When his beloved wife, because he had more than one wife, when his beloved wife Rachel died, Jacob was heartbroken. And one of the ways that he sought to keep her memory alive was by coddling their firstborn son, Joseph. Now he had other sons that were ahead of Joseph in the line. But he caught, he loved Rachel and so he would, Joseph was his pet. His older brothers, they worked hard all day. They were working men. They were, you know, uh, these shepherds that took care of the flock while Joseph got to sit home and play video games. That's kind of what was going on, okay? The older brothers wore hand-me-downs. They shared clothing Joseph got designer clothes, a beautiful coat of many colors, which indicates royalty. And it was this special coat that his father had woven for him in his life. And anything with color in ancient times like this that had color like this, this was, was a special kind of, 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 of robe, a special coat, right? And it, did, it wasn't cheap. It was What he was sending a message to the other sons is that, I value Joseph more. I'm willing to spend more money on him. Jacob got Joseph an iPhone. He probably made the older brothers share a flip phone. They shared it, okay? They didn't have the smartphone that Joseph had. The older brothers got bunk beds and shared one room. Jacob, or excuse me, Joseph got probably his own bedroom, right? And and this is kind of what came of it. Look at verse 4. But his brothers hated, that's a strong word, His brothers hated. They weren't just in a fight with him. They weren't just angry with him. That is a very strong word, hate. They hated their brother. Because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. They were so filled with hatred for their own family member. And moms and dads, there's such powerful lessons to be learned from this when it comes to showing favoritism to our children. That's not where we're going today. But maybe God just wants to remind us some of that. That we need to love our kids the same. That we need to be sure each of them feels very special and loved by us as moms and dads. Well, Jacob treated Joseph like he was a firstborn son. And in this culture, that was a big deal. Being the firstborn son, he was the farthest thing from that. He was the 10th in a line of 12 boys there. They had a few sisters as well. And as a result of of the multiple marriages, as a result of the favoritism, Jacob created this massive dysfunction and the strained relationships within his family. Now, as a side note, you need to understand that we see flesh and blood things working here, but there's always, we always have to understand, Scripture says that we wrestle not with flesh and blood, right? Right? We know that there is a sinister voice behind all of this hatred. We know there is an author to hate. And it's not these boys here. There is an author and his name is Satan. And he is seeking, you need to understand, seeking to destroy this family. And he seeks to destroy your family as well. And he sows hatred in. And he sows jealousy in. And he sows these kinds of things because he wants to wreck your family. But he especially wanted to wreck this family. Do you know why? Because the nation of Israel would emerge from this family. And the nation of Israel, out of the nation of Israel, who would come? Jesus Christ, who would be our Savior. So do you see that Satan is weaving? He's whispering and he's weaving. He's whispering hateful things in their ears. Don't just rough him up. Take him out. Take him out. Kill your body. He wants to destroy this family. Joseph didn't help things with his mouth. If you know his story... One morning, he decides to come kind of bouncing uh, uh, down to the breakfast table there, and he's wearing his fancy coat. And just every time the brothers saw that coat, they just seethed with anger towards him and hatred towards him and jealousy towards him. Now, keep in mind, as we're going to read, you need to keep in mind Joseph was 17 years old. Think back when you were 17, and you probably didn't always say the best things. I still struggle with saying the right things today, and I'm like, why did I say that, right? Anybody else struggle with their mouth? Yes. Well, Joseph's mouth might have gotten in a little bit of trouble here because he comes down to the breakfast table he's wearing the coat that daddy gave him and he decided to open his mouth and share a little tmi about his dream and this is what it says in verse six listen to this dream he said and they're munching on their breakfast and eating their fruit loops and all that good stuff right and he says this we were out in the field tying up bundles of grain craziest thing he says suddenly my bundle stood up right And your bundles all gathered around and bowed low before mine. It was so weird, brothers. (laughs) His brothers responded, so you think you will be... I mean, isn't it interesting how quickly they went to just hate? They hated him. You, You would have thought maybe they'd have just been like, eh, he's just a dumb kid. No, they went right to this. So you think you will be our king, do you? Do you actually think you will reign over us? And they, what does it say, church? They hated. Where does the hate come from? Satan. They hated him all the more because of his dreams and the, and the way that he talked about his dreams. He must have been excited about his dreams, right? Right. The way he talked about his dreams. Now, you would have thought after their response at that time that he would have thought, maybe I shouldn't say this if it happens again. Soon, Joseph had another dream, and again, he told his brothers about it. We don't know why he did this. Maybe God led him to. We don't know. It's not for certain. We don't, it, it, we, you know, Joseph, as I told you last week, was not perfect. He may have been Goading his brothers a little bit there. We don't know, but here's what happened. He told his brothers about it. Listen, I had another dream. I bet they were like, here we go again. Good grief. He said, the sun and the moon and 11 stars. The brothers are doing math in their head. Mom, dad, 11. Hey, wait a minute. And these 11 stars, they bowed low before me. He had 11 brothers. This time he told the dream to his father as well as to his brothers, but his father scolded him because you did not talk to a patriarch in that kind of way. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and, and your brothers actually come and bow to the ground before you? See, that wouldn't happen in a patriarchal society when the patriarch was still alive. It wouldn't happen. But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered, right? Wondered, what, what in the world is going on with this kid? What's going on in his life? And this isn't in your message notes today, but here's a good point for free. If you have a dream that you're going to be greater than a group of people around you, and you're fairly certain that they already hate you, you might want to keep that to yourself, okay? (laughs) Because you're going to see where it's going to take you here in just a second. That's not exactly the best way to win friends or influence people. Brothers, this is incredible. Guess what? I think I'm going to be greater than you. Hey, Judah, pass me the frosted flakes. (laughs) You think he expected his brothers to get excited about this? Really, baby brother? You mean the way dad's treated you all these years, and we've been, you know, not real happy about that, and now you're telling us that we're going to bow down before you? Well, if you know the story... You know, that is not the response that they had for Joseph. They see even more as the story progresses. Jacob sends his older sons off back into the field to go to work. Joseph gets to stay home, play video games a little bit more. And, uh, and, and, And as they're out in the fields, their resentment is growing. They're sick of this partial treatment. They are tired of this. And their bitterness, interestingly enough is not directed, as we can read here, towards their father. because I mean, can't you see that that really Jacob's kind of creating this problem, right? Joseph's a kid. He's a kid and maybe not sure when to be quiet and when to speak. But now Jacob is fueling this fire even more and he lets Joseph stay home. And as you read the story, as we read a moment ago, it says they could not even speak one kind word about them. And while, while they were off working for their father, getting dirty for their father, right, and, and seeking to make their father mo- money and make him great in the land there, they were seething with hatred under the surface. And they got to talking about, and this is what they even call him, that dreamer. That dreamer, right, right? That's what it says. Satan's weaving. He's whispering the dreamer. Here he comes. What are you going to do about this? Right? Uh, don't just rough him up. Kill him. Take him out. So Jacob, the father, decides to send Joseph to go check on his older brothers, which is what he had done before. Joseph had done this before. It came back, brought a negative report to his father. And he sends him again to do this. So his brothers see him coming off in the distance. And you can't miss him. Here comes the flashy coat. Here comes the dreamer. Every time they saw it, they were reminded of how their father loved him more. And he got close up to them, and they are just angry, you know. And they grab him, and in their rage, rip his coat off of him. And they take him, and rather than just roughing him up a little bit, they threw him down. They threw him down into a pit. Scripture tells us it was an empty water well, a cistern. A dried up well where they left him there. And guys, we need to know, they didn't like lower him down with a rope and just gently place him in this deep well. They threw him down in there. He probably had cuts, was bruised, was battered. Maybe he had a concussion. You know, we're not told how deep the well is, but it must have been deep, right? They threw it because he couldn't get out on his own. They threw him down in this, and he went in a moment, think about this, from this prosperous situation, in an instant, he went to the pit. And I've read through this so many times in my lifetime, and I, I really this week, I said, God, just help me see this through Joseph's eyes. Because I've read this story, and when you read the stories of the Bible, you can get desensitized to them, right? But I read this story and, and you know, many times, and I said, God, I really want to feel that this week. I want the people of EBC to feel what Joseph must have been feeling. So I'm asking you to ask God to help you feel what Joseph must have been going through at this point as he'd been thrown down by his own brothers into this pit. So start thinking about the ones that you love, the ones that you trust. The ones that you would have never thought would have done something like this to you, right? Start thinking about someone maybe you even look up to. Can you imagine those feelings Joseph must have been dealing with? Some of you, sadly enough, you don't have to imagine. Because you've gone through some things like that with people that you love. Who have betrayed you and who have hurt you. And so Joseph is in the pit, and he probably could overhear his brothers kind of bickering back and forth. What are they going to do? What are we going to do with this kid, you know? We've roughed him up. Is that enough? No, let's kill him. Let's just take him out, you know? And Satan's whispering, and he's weaving, and he's doing this job. He's probably crying out, Brothers, no, please don't do this to me. Please don't leave me down here. I'm sorry. I just want things to be right with us. And as the brothers are sitting around, and this is how callous they were towards their flesh and blood, they are eating a meal together with their brother within earshot. They're eating a meal together discussing his murder. That's something, isn't it? That's how hard their hearts were. That's how much hatred they had for this man, their young brother. They're discussing his murder. How are we going to do this? How are we going to deceive Daddy? How are we going to how are we going to keep Jacob from finding out? I know. We'll, here's what we'll do. We'll kill him. We will t- we will take his coat. We'll we'll put it in blood and tell Dad that a wild animal guy. We've got the scheme. No, we can't do that. We can't do that. And they're bickering back and forth. And I just imagine Joseph hearing these things going on. What what is going on? How did it get to this? Verse twenty seven. Instead of hurting him, this is what one of them said. Let's kill him, or and let's sell him to those Ishmaelite traders. They see a band of, of slave traders off in the distance, and one of them gets an idea. Let's sell him. We'll sell him down the river. Let's sell out right now. And then he says, After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And the brothers agreed. How noble of them, right? They went from plotting sibling slaying, but they were okay with sibling slave trade. These guys were human traffickers that were walking around, right? They were out there. They would take these guys and they would sell people. And Joseph probably can tell while he was down in the pit that something was going on there. Somebody, some voices I don't recognize, foreign accents maybe were happening. He could maybe hear some commotion and he's screaming again for his brothers to help him, but no reply. They're just ignoring him, just treating him not like he's even human anymore. He could hear maybe some kind of negotiation that's going on. And the next thing you know, a rope maybe. Comes over, and, and then he sees just the silhouettes of these heads looking down in there. Maybe they had turbans on, I don't know. They're looking in, he sees that he doesn't recognize them. They pull him out, and maybe he was thinking this maybe this was just a cruel joke by my brothers. Maybe they're just getting back at me for what I said at the breakfast table. Maybe they're just trying to teach me a lesson for my big mouth. And then he comes out of that pit, and he sees these other guys that are there with his brothers. I imagine the look on his brother's faces must have said it all. Or maybe they wouldn't even look at him because they were so ashamed of what they were doing. And then he sees them, and it says this. They took him. When the Ishmaelites, who were the Midianite traders, came by, Joseph's brothers. And someone go get Danny and let him know that I'm in trouble with that. Pulled him out of the cistern. And sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And and I want you to read the next part with me out loud. Say it with me. And the traders took him to where? Egypt. Egypt. They took him to Egypt. These Midianite slave traders grabbed him. They probably at this point start poking at him and prodding. And they're checking him out, you know. And they're looking at his teeth like you do livestock. And Joseph was sold for the price of a handicapped slave. That's the price. His brothers didn't care. They just wanted to get rid of him, right? He probably was like, brothers, don't, as they're, as they're walking off. Don't sell me. I'm your brother. We're family. We're supposed to stick together. And they took the money. They took his special coat. They turned their backs on him, and they walked out of his life, what their minds thought, forever. I mean, do you feel that today? Man, I felt that this week, and I was like, this guy went through something, man. Right? And there Joseph stood at that moment. I want you to think as his brothers, get this image in your mind as they're walking off. He's seen them go off in the distance, and there Joseph stands there, probably with a rope around his neck. And he's broken, he's cut up, he's hurt, he's betrayed, he's abandoned, he's fearful. Where is this going to end up? Right? Have you ever felt those things in your life? Right? It hurts when you start thinking about some of those experiences that you have gone through. Maybe you're going through something like this, right? When you slow down enough and you think about it, it's this scripture. When you really slow down, it's heartbreaking. It's one of the saddest passages in all of scripture. Brothers selling each other out. Doing this, betraying one another. Don't you know that as Joseph was on this road to Egypt now, He's on his road. He must have been in, and this was a word that kept coming to me this week, disbelief. How did this even happen? What? Right? How quickly his life had changed. One minute he's the favored son. One minute he's prosperous. He has this incredible coat showing his prosperity, dressed in fine clothes, reminding him how much his father loved him every time he looked at this. And he's strolling along and then... The next thing happens, he's knocked down by a calamity in his life. Knocks him out. Just like that sucker punch, right? With a rope around his neck, being treated like an animal. Had no idea as he's on this road where he would end up. Where am I headed? What what, what just happened? You ever felt that? What just happened? You know? How's this fit into the dream that you gave me, God? And he's headed south on this road out of Canaan to Egypt, right? He's headed to Egypt now. But really, Joseph's whole life, not just directionally went south, his whole life went south. That's what we say. Man, things went south. Write this down. What do we learn from this? Joseph's life went south in an instant. Life's like that sometimes. It's rough. You relate. It's so unpredictable. The story starts with everything's looking great for Joseph. It starts out, everything's looking up for Joseph. Everything's wonderful. He has a position. He has preference, security. He even has a dream that others are looking up to him one day. And then in an instant, everything comes crashing down. It all went south in an instant. He stripped of his security. He stripped of his name. The Egyptians didn't care he was related to Abraham. They didn't care anything about this. His life fell apart and Joseph lost everything in a moment's notice. Life went south. Life went south. And I know some of you relate to this. where one moment, everything seems like it's going your way in life. Everything seems to be going well. You're comfortably settled in. You're enjoying maybe the rhythm of life. It's not that life's easy all the time, but maybe you're in a rhythm of life and you're comfortable with that. And then the next thing you know, everything goes south on a dime and you're going down to Egypt. On that road to Egypt. Life can be cruel like this. One minute you have a job, the next minute you're getting called into the, into the office. Look, and I don't know how to tell you this, but we're downsizing. That's Egypt. That's the road to Egypt. Egypt. One minute, maybe you're in a relationship that seems to be doing well. The next minute, your spouse walks out on you. That's the road to Egypt, leading to Egypt, right? One minute, you're as strong as can be. You go to get a, a, maybe just a routine physical. You would have never thought that there was anything wrong. The next minute, you're getting the call. Hey, we need you to come in. We, we, we've, we think we've found something. We need to biopsy that. We need to take a look at that, right? I started thinking this week just about our church. I started thinking about the people in our church. I started seeing your faces. Even in worship, knowing what I was going to be talking to you about today, I was just thinking about the people that I'm worshiping with and here. And I was seeing your faces. And this week, tears literally came to my eyes because I've thought of how much so many of you have lost. Jobs. Family members. That's Egypt. That's the road to Egypt, and it hurts. It hurts when you're on that road, right? Unexpected catastrophes. So many of you have lost so greatly. I've seen it happen in my own family, and I hurt for them as that loss is deep, right? And, and everything can change on a dime in this life, And you find yourself on a road going south to Egypt. And so as I I thought about that, I thought, how do you get through that? How do you make it through times like this? Joseph lost everything with one exception. He lost everything with one exception. In spite of Egypt, Joseph still believed God had a master plan and God had a calling on his life doesn't mean Joseph, while he was going through it, understood everything that was happening. All right, I'm not saying that, but he clung to something in his life. This is the story of how he survived Egypt. What got him through Egypt? God had had been the one to give him these dreams. The Bible says nothing about his training. It doesn't say about his skills or his talents. He probably had things like this. They're not mentioned, but what is mentioned is the dreams of God. The narrator in the scripture wants us to draw this, this careful conclusion and it's this, that he went, to, he went south to Egypt with nothing but faith in God and a belief in this. Now hear this, that God is ultimately in control. That God is the master weaver. That God had tapped him on the shoulder and said, I know it's going to get messy, but I have a plan for you. I know you're not going to understand this, but I'm in control of this. You're going to get through this. You're going to be that influential leader one day. You're going to be in that position that I have for you one day. But it's going to take time. And by the time Joseph had arrived in Egypt, they think it was maybe a 30, 45-day trip. Think of that as he's dwelling upon that, right? And the only thing he had left to hold on to was that God had a plan. God was working in ways he couldn't see. God had a dream for his life. And on the surface, it appeared that he lost everything. His life went south, but he clung to this belief that God had a call on his life. While he was wearing the chains, I imagine as they would cling back and forth, that would try to rob him of that memory of God's call. Or while he was standing on the auction block there in Egypt, he probably thought, God, how does this fit in to this plan you have for my life? And his faith is what got him through. I believe that he had God's dream and calling on his life. He under, this is what got him through. And, and just our application is, what about you? Because here is the thing. We all, sometime or another, are either on the road to Egypt or you're in Egypt right now. We all end up in that pit at some point for different circumstances. Do you know this? That God has a call on your life just like he did Joseph. God has a calling on your life. If you were to dig down deep into your heart, in spite of all the clutter and the mess that's going on around you, do you believe with deep conviction in your soul? Can you say, I know God has a plan in this. I can't see it right now. I know that he's the master architect. He's, he can take these things. God maybe is not even the one that, that did these things, but he maybe allowed them at this point in my life. I don't understand that. But I have to know this, that he is in control. God is a God who calls people. He called Joseph with a dream. He called Moses with a burning bush, right? Do you remember that? He called Paul, or, Paul and, or Saul on the road to Damascus. He's always calling. He called David through a prophet. God has a call for you too. He has a calling in your life. His means may vary, but his plan is consistent. Every, to every person, the call has been given. I want to ask you this tough question, right? Maybe you've been in Egypt for a while, or maybe you're headed down this road to Egypt. Have you forgotten your call? Have you forgotten the dream that God has for you? See, that road to Egypt, it is littered with dreams that failed. Or that were forgotten, I should say. didn't fail because God is at work. Are you just maybe in this, on this road to Egypt, are you just kind of numb? Or maybe you're in Egypt and you've just kind of numbed out or you just try to escape or whatever. Or are you clinging to the faith that God has a plan and a calling for you? Fight, finish, what? Faith. Fight, finish, faith. Have you lost your dream? Do you know that God is ultimately in control? Right? Many a person has lost their faith on that road to Egypt. I want to encourage you with the story of Joseph to see that God is working. He's weaving. He's the architect. He can use the things in our life. The southbound road to Egypt can be very difficult on a call. Life's unexpected difficulties can wreak havoc on our dreams. Have you had this idea of how things would look like in your life and you can't see it in any kind of way? Have you forgotten your call that God's in control? You see, your difficulties may take a lot from you. It may take some things from you, but there is one thing that your troubles cannot touch. They cannot take away God's destiny for you. You can't touch it because God is the one who is sovereign and in control. So here is our response. What do you do with that? What do, how, do we, how do we maybe regain and understand or remember that call? Or maybe some of you didn't know that you had a call, right? Here's, here's what I couldn't wait to tell you. Here's what you got to do. In faith, you have to choose to believe what God says about you. Not about what the circumstances are saying or what about other, other people are saying about. You have to say, I have to cling to some things that this God's word says about the relationship that I have with him. That this, this is true. And this is what you've got to choose to believe. Just quickly, write this down. You've got to choose to believe this. This is what he says. You are his child. And just as much as you love your kids and you're crazy about them and I'm crazy about my kids, He is the perfect Father that has never forgotten you. Hear this today. God saw you. God picked you. God called you before you or anything else. You are His child. You're His son. You're His daughter. Right? John 15, listen to this. Jesus is saying this and let it speak to you. He says, you didn't choose me. Read it with me, church. I chose you. You. God picked you. I chose you. I appointed, that's a calling, I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit. Even in the hard times, I've called you to produce lasting fruit. I want your life to point to me, I want your life to show people what I'm like. Before you're a teacher or a banker or a coach or a janitor or a construction worker or builder, whatever your occupation is, whether you're black or you're white or Hispanic or Asian or male or female, Scripture says this, God says, you are his child. When you place your faith in Jesus Christ, you are his child. You are royalty now. You are an heir to the throne because of what Jesus did. We all were on that auction block of slavery, bound and held in slavery in our sin. By Satan. And Jesus, when he came, paid the price. He came walking by and now he's redeeming us. He paid our ransom. This is what it says. This is called redemption. He wraps his arms around us and he purchased us with his blood. And he says, this one is mine. And you're covered with the arms and by the blood of Jesus. That's redemption. 1 Peter 1. For you know that God paid a ransom to save you from the empty life you inherited from your ancestors. And it was not paid with mere gold or silver, which lose their value. It was the precious, say it with me, blood of Jesus Christ, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God. It was a high price that was paid for you. That was your value. So now, rather than giving you a coat of many colors, now he, he cloaks you in his robe of righteousness. Amen? And you are the favored son and the favored daughter. Every one of you every one of us when we believe in Jesus and here's something else that you need to know you're not only his child and he values you and loves you that much even in the midst of your hardships right listen to this joseph also had to believe this and you had to believe you have to believe this too and i have to believe this your life goes beyond this temporary life this is this is not all that there is There's so much more. Your life is more than what you're living right now. Think of this for a moment. Uh, Your life did not even begin with your birth, or even your conception, or even you, you before it began before you ever took your first breath. Ephesians 1 4, it says this long before he laid down, that's God, earth's foundations. He had us. Put your name right there. He had us in mind had settled on us as the focus of his love. The focus of his love, not because we deserve it, but because he picks us, he chooses us, he wants us. I hope that encourages you today. Before you were born to your parents, you were born in the mind of God. He knew every one of us before we were ever born. And God made us and God wove us together, right? In our mothers, He knit us, wove us together in our mother's womb because He has a plan for us. He's called you, He's chosen you to be His child. And if we believe in Christ, we are going to outlive this physical body. This physical life is a blip on the radar of the grand scheme of eternity. Your struggles won't last forever, amen? Amen. But you will, you will live beyond them. And your reward for faithfulness is coming. Look at what Paul wrote just very quickly. Last passage, Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. Paul, who suffered much, who was called, said this as he was suffering. For we know that when this earthly tent, do you hear the temporary nature of that? Is taken down, that is when we die and leave the earthly body, we will have a house in heaven. An eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Paul wrote that as he was suffering. Paul would eventually end up in prison like Joseph. And we we see this, but Paul had perspective. Joseph had perspective. This is what gets people through things like this, right? People could take things from them in this life, but nobody could take away their their destiny. Nobody, nobody could touch what God said he was gonna do with them. And it's easy to get sucked into short-term thinking. It's easy to get overwhelmed with the problems. I, I do that all the time and I'll be worried about something and, and it'll overwhelm me and then I'm in a bad mood. And the next thing you know, it's like God is going, wait a minute, why are you doing that? You need to rest in me right now. I've got this. You need to get your eyes, Bart, off of this temporary stuff and get your eyes on me and start living and believing in the call I've put on your life. And you have a call too. Scripture tells us this, our life is just a vapor. Our life is a mist, this physical life, but our eternal life, it lasts forever forever. Forever. Heaven is eternal. And every great man and woman of God who has suffered in this lifetime, and there have been many, and there are many in this room, and have suffered well, have kept this kind of mindset that this is not all that there is. This is temporary. God has a call on your life. Your problems are not going to last. Last service, we had a man, many of you know him, his name's Jimmy Chestnut. Jimmy sits right up here in his wheelchair over to the side in the first service every Sunday faithfully. Tomorrow, Jimmy is going to Belize. Jimmy has struggled, and he's talked with me and Pastor Randy about, I don't understand what I'm supposed to do with this. I'm in this wheelchair. I don't understand, and he's, he hurts. Physically, he hurts a lot with his disability, and it's, he's been frustrated. But, you know, we got to pray over him today. He's going to Belize tomorrow, and, and, and you know what he's doing there? He's helping people get wheelchairs and things like that down in Belize. He's using that pain in his life for God's glory. And you know what he said as he rolled out the door to me today? I found my calling. And you see, that's what God wants you to do is to take those things in your life and use them. Say today, God, I'm hurting right now. I'm in pain right now. God, I don't understand it right now, but I'm clinging to this, that you are the master weaver. That you have the final say. Satan does not. Others, they do not. It's you, God. Let's just pray right now. Can we pray together? Stop listening to what others are saying. Maybe you've had a boss that's berated you. Maybe you've had a family member that's betrayed you. Maybe you've had people speak terrible things over you and they've hurt you, right? I've done ugly things to you. Stop listening to those voices and start remembering what God says about you. He says, you are my child and I have a plan for you. I have a plan for you. And he declares that over you today. Whatever it is that you're going through right now, you may feel like you are on the road to Egypt. I asked the last service, I said, how many feel like you're on the road to Egypt right now? Would you just raise your hands? Would you do that in here? There were a lot of hands in the first service. How many of you feel it? I'm on that road right now. I don't know where this is going. Joseph probably had no idea. I don't know where this is going to end up. Some of you, maybe you're in Egypt. You're there and you're, you're just in the dark place right now and you're struggling and you're like, God, I just need you. That's why we're here today is to come to him. That's why God gave us stories like Joseph's to show you that he is at work. You are not alone. What others say about you is not the final word. Right now, would you just say, hey, God, I'm giving you these problems today. I'm gonna place my faith in you. I wanna take my eyes and my focus off of the pit and the prison and Egypt and the road to Egypt. And God, I wanna get my eyes on you. Would you help me do that today? God, would you just comfort your people today? Would you bless your people right now? Encourage their hearts. There may be some of you that you've never known that Jesus loves you the way that he does. And you've never come into a relationship with Jesus. Right now, he, you need to hear this. He's been pursuing you all of your life because you are special to him. And part of that calling for your life is that you come into a personal relationship with him and you accept him as your savior. And right now there, you can say, dear God, Jesus, when you come into my life, be my savior. I, I may not understand everything or get the big picture yet, but God, I just know that, that you're calling me to you. Please be my savior. Forgive me of my sin. Give me eternal life. Lord, our, our final prayer is that we want to live a life where we fight through things that are tough, we finish well, and we live a life of faith. Fight, finish, faith. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.